Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madvi, what's the topic this week? This week, we are excited to have Brazilian investigative journalist Andrea Dip on the show. Andrea has been working on human rights issues since 2001 and has won 16 journalism awards. In 2018, she published her first book called... Do you want to help me out? <laughs> yes. Em nome de quem? A bancada evangélica e o seu projeto de poder. Uh, that translates to In Whose Name, The Evangelical Bench and Their Plans for Power. And she currently lives in Berlin and is an associated researcher at the Latin American Institute of the Freie Universität Berlin and part of the International Research Group on Authoritarianism and Counter Strategies at Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge and insights. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so the day this is released, which is Sunday, will be the election day in Brazil. Yes. So a couple of weeks ago, Madvi talked to Bruna about the current elections happening in Brazil, which will be on the day that this is released. If anyone hasn't listened to that episode, I recommend everyone go listen to it because Bruna is awesome and gave us some really great insights into the election and into Brazilian society. So one thing that you've been looking into is the rise of evangelical fundamentalism in Brazil and the election of Bolsonaro and his government. But before we get into all of that, I think we should start off by defining exactly what is an evangelist, who are they, how are they different from the Catholics in Brazil, which I guess is more established religious group in Brazil historically? Yes. Well, I would try to answer because it's a a long question, a long answer. Big question. <laughs> a big question. <laughs> but I will try. Evangelicals are a Christian group that was born after the Protestant Reformation. And there are several branches and denominations, some quite different from each other. Basically, there are two main branches that are the historical evangelicals, which are more linked to the study of the Bible and theology and the Pentecostal and Neo-Pentecostal Evangelicals who believe in the gifts of the Holy Ghost, wow. like miracles, prophecies. I'm being quite simplistic in my explanation, but it's just to start our conversation. But each one of these denominations has like hundreds of other denominations, mm -hmm. ramifications, and churches that differ from each other. Pentecostalism arrived in Brazil in a more stronger way in the 80s and began to grow with the television pastors who bought time in the television stations, right? And also through the North American missionaries. Since then, this is the fastest growing religion in Brazil. Today, more than 30% of Brazilian population declares itself to be evangelical. 30%? Yes, which corresponds to about 70 million people. Because Brazil is huge, right? Massive. <laughs> so Catholics are still in the majority, actually, around 50%, but they have stagnated. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Besides, they don't have the same political influence today, Catholics, right? As the evangelicals. And we can talk more about that later. But evangelical churches, especially Pentecostal and Neo-Pentecostal ones, began to be successful in Brazil and in other countries and to gain followers from the Catholic Church for a number of reasons, I think. First, because of the services are more lively. Mm-hmm. There is music, dance, interaction. There is also a sense of community, especially in the poorest communities. For example, a lady who works as a maid and is invisible to the world, to, to people on the streets, to the capitalist world, she can become a prophet in the church, mm-hmm. someone who manifests the gift of Holy Ghost and becomes someone important in her circle. When she has a birthday, the church sings happy birthday, makes a cake to celebrate. She feels part of something important. And there is even a kind of a career path in the church, which you follow until you become a pastor, for example. This makes it more interesting than just going to um, a boring Catholic service. Yes, and listening to the, the priest talk. Mm. So there's more also opportunity for upward movement. So I guess for people, it's not only religious, but also can sort of off- offer them yes. social mobility. Yes, of course. Wow, I okay. think this is important. And also, other than that, Pentecostal and Neo-Pentecostal churches bring other visions such as the prosperity theology that say you can be happy on earth, that God can give you consumer goods, that it's not shameful to want to be successful, victorious, have a nice car, have have nice things. And that fits very well with capitalism and neoliberalism, right? And just to close this first <laughs> question... At the same time, in the 80s, Brazil was undergoing a process of redemocratization after a military dictatorship. And evangelicals participated in this process very actively. They came out as candidates for Congress and so on. And as the number of evangelicals grew, so did their political power, influence and potential as voters. Over time, most evangelicals have become closer to ultra-conservative parties, as is the case around the world, right? And have been co-opted by the far right, mainly through anti-abortion, anti-LGBT, anti-reproductive rights agenda, right? Yeah, so this leads on to the next question, which is, yeah, how, in fact, has this evangelical right had an influence in Brazilian politics and therefore Brazilian society and culture recently than since the 80s, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, Christians are conservative by essence, right? I think this is nothing new in human history. I think there is the middle age to prove it, right? (laughs) So with a few exceptions, because there are progressive evangelicals in Brazil, but the vast majority are reactionary and identify with the far-right agenda of God, homeland, and family. A very specific type of family, of course, (laughs) a cis woman, a cis man, and their children. So I think that realizing the potential of this population uh, and 
and above all the power of influence because we have to understand that evangelical pastors usually do political campaigns for candidates during services, right? Which is prohibited by law in Brazil. But we have to think about the power and influence of someone who is none other than the representative of God on earth. Because mm. this is what a pastor is. He is the representative mm -hmm. figure of God on earth. Mm -hmm. So how we can compete <laughs> with It's that? It's pretty hard. Right? <laughs> is it, do they do this because they legitimately believe it or are they paid to? Mm, I think they they have a lot of personal interests mm -hmm. and they make a lot of negotiations and they always get a lot of benefits mm -hmm. okay uh, like tax cuts a lot of benefits okay. so it's not like a, <laughs> an spiritual yeah. inspiration you know it's very they have their own agenda yes yes not an spiritual agenda <laughs> so the far right like bolsonaro and the evangelical bench in congress because we have a huge evangelical bench in congress approach this population through moral panic the fear that lgbt populations wants to destroy the family and sexualize children through the fanciful gender ideology right it's a lie it's something completely invented You know, and the same everywhere. Yeah, exactly. About that feminist women are baby killers or being pro-decriminalization of abortion and that the left wing wants to do Marxist indoctrination in schools and so on. Mm -hmm. And evangelical churches are not just in the cities, right? They are also in the fields and indigenous reservations increasingly which is terrible because they have wiped out so much of indigenous culture so it's like a new <laughs> new colonialism yikes so i was reading basically that bolsonaro has appointed a evangelist to the supreme court mm -hmm. and so i was wondering is it like in the united states where this person is just on the supreme court till they die or resign no okay that's um, great yeah <laughs> No, they stayed there for a period of time. But the thing is, in Brazil right now, the Supreme Court now is the only institution that can guarantee rights, for example, for LGBT people. Mm -hmm. So if Bolsonaro will be elected, the main goal is to put another ministry at the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So he <laughs> will be an unstoppable Because the Supreme Court now is the only institution who has been, like, stopping Bolsonaro's madness. Mm. It's his only roadblock, essentially. Yes. Okay, I see. Interesting. So it's really important. It's really important. And it is a main goal because I was in Brazil recently and I made an interview with parliamentary pastor man who is very influent, very important man. And he's the contact of IFD in Brazil. Oh. Yeah. And he was telling me that 
this is the main goal of the next Bolsonaro's government, mm. to take the Supreme Court. Mm. So, yeah, this is <laughs> really, really important. Yeah. I actually wanted to ask you, because we talked a lot about, like, Bolsonaro in relation to the evangelical right. And then we have Lula on the other side, or as an opposition, I guess, who everyone who doesn't want Bolsonaro is really voting for Lula. And since the evangelicals are 30% uh, of the population, a big influential bench, do some evangelicals also influence Lula and his politics? Um, Lula is also trying to communicate with evangelicals. He wrote a letter for the, the evangelical. Actually, a really sad letter because he made some compromising about the abortion, for example. Mm telling that he's not personally in favor of the decriminalization of abortion, mm-hmm. right? Kind of a sad letter, but he's trying to communicate and gain some votes from mm-hmm. the evangelicals as well. Mm-hmm. So, yes, and there is a small part of the evangelicals who are progressive and vote for Lula, of course, but it's a small part. So you mentioned abortion and feminism very briefly in Latin America. And I was reading your interview with the amazing uh, Federici, who is a writer, feminist writer. And she called feminism in Latin America dissident, popular and alternative. And so I wanted to know more about the peculiarities of Latin American feminism. Yeah, I think what Silvia was saying, and which I very much agree, is that because of Latin America has a very strong indigenous population and a strong fight for territory, feminism crosses and is also crossed by different fights, like the dispute over territory, including thinking about the body as a territory. Mm-hmm. like the fight against social inequality, the connection with the environmental agenda, which is essential and directly affects the lives of women because it's about access to food and a dignified life. So I think that it's a feminism that it's very connected with other social movements. Mm. I think that maybe this is a difference. Um, It's very intersectional. Yeah, very Mm. intersectional. Yeah. And tied up with environment. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So this is more of a personal question. I was in Rio recently, and while we were walking along the street, we somehow got caught up in this, like, evangelist parade. So there was a big bus... Everyone was wearing white and they were on, there was a pastor on top of the bus and he had like a microphone. He was yelling stuff. And obviously none of us are Brazilian. We don't speak Portuguese. We had no idea what was going on. And suddenly we're in this massive parade. There's people walking all around it too. And then what was really interesting was on the side of the street, there were counter protesters who had signs. One lady was holding a sign that had a poop on it. And the poop was wearing like the sash and then it was struck through and it said Fosa Bolsonaro. So we gathered they are anti-Bolsonaro protesters and these are evangelists who are, I assume, saying something pro-Bolsonaro because... Probably. Probably. 
So I just, I was wondering if you could, like, have you witnessed this before? What do you know about them? Can you explain to me what was <laughs> happening and what I ended up in? Yes. Were you walking with pro Bolsonaro people? Is yeah. that what happened? Yes. <laughs> well, just to understand what... They were walking in our direction, so they were going very slowly, so we caught up with them. So this I happens guess, yes. to her often, because she's also been in anti-vax... <laughs> she's always in kind of these protests. I accidentally... I was walking a dog, and suddenly I was surrounded by anti-vaxxers, and they were going my direction. <laughs> and I was like, no one uh, think I'm with these people. <laughs> I'm just trying to go home. And this time I was just trying to go to brunch. Yeah. Brazil is, we used to say that Brazil, it's not for amateurs because it's really, it's really hard to explain. It's really chaotic. Well, I can't say for sure what you saw. Okay. Um, but yes, it's common for evangelicals to make demonstrations and parades, such as in favor of Bolsonaro, I suppose, which is also a great political platform. For example, we have this parade. It's like a huge parade, like a LGBT parade, but for Jesus. <laughs> no, not LGBT at all. It's just like a Jesus parade uh, that in Portuguese is Marcha para Jesus. Mm -hmm. Oh, so it's actually cool, the Jesus it's parade. Great. Yeah, Jesus parade, Marcha para Jesus. And happens in a lot of cities in Brazil. It's actually, it's, I think it's in... June as well. I think mm -hmm. it's close to the LGBT parade. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's not a coincidence, right? Of course. <laughs> but it's a huge parade that happens in a lot of cities in Brazil at the same time, and it's a great political platform. So this year, Bolsonaro was on stage with other congressmen and mega church leaders at Marcha para Jesus. So yeah, it's common and it's chaotic. Mm -hmm. It's very Brazilian. <laughs> Interesting. I'd be curious to know, because I noticed that the majority of the people participating in this parade were black. Yeah. So I'd be curious to know about the intersection between like evangelism and like Brazil's black population. I don't know if we have researches mm -hmm. or data about that. I think that's what we can say is that especially the Pentecostal and Neo-Pentecostal churches are very important in the poorest communities, mm -hmm. in the favelas. We have this huge quality in Brazil that shows that black people are poorest people in Brazil. And the evangelical churches are very important on these communities, on the favelas, on the mm -hmm. forest communities. So I think we can have a link there. Mm -hmm. Also because it's very important to think that the poorest communities in Brazil doesn't have like theaters or mm. sports or social activities. Mm. So the church becomes the central communal... Yes, and then you have like a huge church with light, sound. Yeah, yeah. it's theater. Yeah, it's entertainment. And I don't know, a single, ma a single mother can go to the church on Sunday and someone will take care of her son for a while and she will dance and sing and be part of something. I don't know, it's, it's something very powerful. Mm, for sure. So it seems to me that the evangelical 
church is filling a hole that the mm-hmm. government is not providing, right? So yeah. Providing community, social mobility. Yeah. But surely if you say there, this is the poorest communities living in the favelas, like, I mean, I don't know if this is so much a question as a statement, but surely they must be making the connection between we are supporting this government that's doing nothing for us. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I'm, I completely understand why they're drawn to the church. Like, it makes sense if mm-hmm. you're living in a favela and, like, you have nothing in life. Any source of hope? Yes. Amazing. Like, that's so... You need that. Yeah. It's really hard to understand. Yeah. I think even for us, even for us journalists, even for researchers, I think that there's a lot of theories about that. And also, I think that there's a lot of people who can think and make good decisions, you know, like, because, I don't know, they lost their children or their loved ones for the pandemic Mm -hmm. because we had a lot of losses in Brazil in the pandemics because of a terrible administration of Bolsonaro's government. So, and of course, suffers more from hungry and Mm -hmm. because women have to work and take care of their family and take care of their kids and, you know, like, this overlapping of responsibilities. Yes. So I think that, I don't know, I hope <laughs> that this person, especially the, the women, can rethink their mm. votes like in mm. these elections. It always, for me, feels like a shortcoming of liberal or leftist government because I understand what Lula was trying to do by writing a letter being like, listen, I personally am against abortion, but surely that's a short-term solution for getting votes. But maybe, because I think that you sort of speak in this like highbrow way. I'm like, okay, maybe go to these people and understand. I'm not trying to say he's not doing this. I don't know. Um, But like understand what the people's actual concerns are. Okay, why are they drawn to the church? What does the church do for them? Mm-hmm. What are the social holes that the church is filling? Mm-hmm. Like. Well, I think actually you touched on something that Bruna was saying the other day. She said that it, she thinks it's important that we concentrate on women, actually, yes. and yeah. women's votes. And with this, like, anti-abortion, sympathetic sort of stance, you're not doing that, really, so... It feels kind of desperate. Yes. Get their votes, get their votes, get their yes. votes. <laughs> yes, yes. This yeah, like... is the, the, the vibe oh, great. <laughs> right now. <laughs> exactly this vibe. <laughs> you got it. What what are the Catholics doing? Do they have like a lobby? Who are they lobbying for? Which side are they on? It's very unusual for the Catholics to be this quiet. Like, what are they planning? <laughs> yes, I'm trying to understand as well because <laughs> I'm very interested in this topic. Next book. Next book, <laughs> probably. Maybe. I don't Where know. the fuck are the Catholics? <laughs> this is the title, title, right? <laughs> yes, I'm. Um, during the Bolsonaro's government, Catholics were together with evangelicals, mm-hmm. actually. For example, we had this evangelical pastor woman who was minister of family woman. Yeah, I read about this lady. <laughs> and humans right, mm-hmm. Damaris Alves. She's an evangelical pastor, right? And her secretary, a very important person in the ministry, was a Catholic woman, Angela Gandra, who is part of a family 
a very traditional Catholic family from Brazil, from Opus Dei. So, yes. And Angela Gandra traveled like the world, talking about family and talking about the anti-abortion agenda and participating in far-right congresses around the world. So I think they are working together mm. right now. Obviously, as we've seen like in the United States, this faction has a similar agenda and influences also politics there. But I wanted to know how does this faction influence the rest of Latin America? And what do you think of the future of this faction and the role that it's playing in Latin America? Yeah, I think this is a difficult question to answer because it is complex, right? And involves many factors. But what can be said is that in a short time, evangelicals will be the majority in Brazil. Mm. And they are also growing a lot in Latin America. They are a large part of the United States, right? Like the United States are like the source of these evangelical churches. And they are coming to Europe as well. Uh, yeah. We're so excited. Yeah. <laughs> For example. We don't have enough problems in Europe. Yeah. For example, one of the most reactionary pastor politicians we have in Brazil, as I told, is today the point of contact for IFD, right? Even in Berlin, <laughs> there are already a Brazilian evangelical church called Universal do Reino de Deus, like universal from God's kingdom, mm. that is the biggest church in Brazil right now. They hold like an empire of television, radio. They are very, very powerful and they have like churches all around the world. And they have one church here in Berlin. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Did so, you go? Not yet. But are I you going to go? Oh, of course. Can we come? Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll come. I want to see it. <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> I mean, actually, on that note, because you have a super cool job, you're an investigative journalist, <laughs> and this sounds like, to me, it's like spy-like sort of territory. Do you go cool. undercover? Do you, How do you investigate these groups? What are the techniques you use? <laughs> Tell us all about your life. Well, actually, it's not glamorous at all. Actually, it's usually about having your head buried in data and documents for the most part of the time, for weeks, for months. But of course, there are good stories. Sometimes I do go undercover. I even joke that I cosplay as a conservative. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> because, you know, I have all these tattoos and piercings in my head and everything that shows that I'm definitely not a conservative person, right? Mm -hmm. So I cover everything up. How? How do you cover your tattoo? I mean, like, this, like, like the one on your hand. Uh, I put a band-aid <sighs> and take off my piercing and 
put my hair like that. I will show some pictures. Do you have a separate wardrobe, like in your closet? Yes. Like these are my conservative yes. clothes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so right now, my I'm cosplay. Like... <laughs> that's so cool. So right now, Andrea is wearing all black. I'm this not... is me. Yeah. Okay, that's you. Yeah. And Except then, what do you wear when you are? Uh, a dress. A dress. A dress with like black tights with I don't know, like close into the neck with my hair down with my with your fringe sort of tucked away yes and glasses sometimes wow that's and, so cool <laughs> yeah so i do that sometimes and, and actually where do you go dress like this yes yeah, so the last time i did this was two months ago mm-hmm. i did that to enter a far-right congress in hungary a hungarian far-right congress yes <gasps> Yes. Sorry, I'm also very fascinated by the far right in Hungary. Yes. They weren't accrediting journalists and it was a very important event with more than a hundred countries there. Only four politicians and religious leaders. And a lot of my colleagues, I, I think all of my colleagues, journalists, gave up to try to enter. But I took a bus <laughs> from Berlin and went there. And that's a long bus ride too. Yes. How like long is it? Twelve hours. Oy vey. Yeah. And I put my cosplay, <laughs> my my conservative cosplay. Went to the place and I said that I wanted to attend the congress and they let me. What? They let me. <laughs> Yeah, just like that. Just like that. Wow. So for two whole days, I listened to far-right polit- political leaders talk about their plans and strategies. Did you take any pictures? Yes, a lot of pictures. Wow. Uh, and it's like that. The, the same way I have interviewed famous pastors in Brazil, many representatives of the evangelical bench, and I'm always very happy to deceive them very well. <laughs> you know what I think we should do to make it glamorous when we go to the evangelical Brazilian church which we wear dresses and heels <laughs> do they wear heels? I don't know Might be a no, bit... not necessary but we might stand out yeah you we can't, also can't walk in heels we can't walk in heels Good me point. neither no. right so we scratch can't. the heels we yeah yeah we'll fool no. over the place no, no. We'll not a good much. idea we'll draw too much attention <laughs> yes Okay, scratch that. I think you're thinking about legally blonde here. Legally. I wanted to add some glamour. No. No glamour. No, no, no. Different film. No, different film. Yeah. (laughs) No, I can show you. Oh, yes, please. The picture, if you want, you can describe what you see. It's something like that. Oh. (laughs) It it doesn't look like you. (laughs) So she's wearing a blue dress with orange dots that's buttoned up all of the way round dark brown glasses and your hair is completely down and falls to about your shoulders and obviously your septum piercing is gone wow yeah it does really does not look like you yes and you look very serious very yes. serious yeah. yeah i have a necklace is it it's it's a necklace from my family actually oh, okay so i didn't know if it was personal yeah. or part of the costume so i didn't want to <laughs> it's part of the costume it's part of the costume yeah sometimes it's a cross mm-hmm. i changed the pendant yes yes Wow. Also, in your work, you've addressed some really, really interesting topics, as well as this topic. 
like gender violence, mass incarceration in Brazil. I'm really kind of interested in what sparks your interest in the first place with all of these different topics. Yeah, I think that as a journalist, my my greatest interest has always been to expose human rights violations. Mm-hmm. I think that this is what connects everything that I mm-hmm. investigate. This is also the focus of Agência Pública. Agência Pública is this vehicle I I work for in Brazil that is an investigative journalist agency founded by women. So, yeah, I think that this is something. And and I think that the more you research and the more you dig, the more you find things, you always end up looking more and more at some topics. I don't know if Mm -hmm. it's clear, but it's really hard to simply like forget about these topics mm. mm-hmm. yes so i think that i will always like look for mass incarceration stories in brazil because it's something really really bad it's i think this is another topic for another conversation <laughs> sure. Come back. but yeah i think uh, this is the thing i think that expose human rights violations is my biggest interest and i also think that it's a north star when I'm questioning, why am I doing that? Why am I writing about that? You know? Well, oh, yes, of course, because this is a human violation story. So mm-hmm. this, is, this is why I'm covering this. This is why I'm working. This is why I'm doing that, to expose the situation. Did you always want to do this? Or was there like a moment that you can remember when you thought, I want to do mm, that? I think I, yeah, I think, oh, yeah. I want to be a journalist since I I am a teenager. So cool. How are you feeling about the future of Brazil? (laughs) Well, I have no idea what will happen this Sunday, actually. I hope that Lula wins because otherwise it will be the absolute death of democracy in Brazil. I'm very afraid because the numbers are very close. Mm. There are just a few points of difference between him and Bolsonaro. But anyway, even if Lula wins, the estimative is that it will take more than 30 years to rebuild everything that Bolsonaro managed to destroy in these last four years. So we have a lot of work to do. (laughs) It's almost impressive. Yes. Yeah. He really fucked things up. Yeah, he was efficient. Yeah, because he told he would do that from the beginning. Yeah. He told, like, with these words, I will destroy everything to rebuild. Like, damn. He did it. So to end each episode, we always give our listeners three tips of things they can do this week to be a better person. So what would your three recommendations be? I think I would recommend Torto Arado by Tamar Vieira Jr. It's a really, really nice book. And also the documentary The Virgin's Tower, uh, Memories of a Group of Rebel Women That Were Imprisoned by the Brazilian Dictatorship in mm-hmm. the 60s, including Dilma Rousseff, our last president. And I think that the final tip is take care of your mental health. Yeah. <laughs> the best you can. Yeah. It's yeah. an important one. Yeah. Wow. A lot of care and hope for all the Brazilians listening out there. And also, Andrea has 
obviously a book and a podcast and many articles. So we'll link to all of her links so you can find her in our newsletter this week. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. It was really great to be here. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Until next week. Goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.